I'm just going to read, uh, I'll read two or three verses here, but I'll start reading from verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then on into the the New Testament, uh, to Mark chapter 2, and I'll just read from verse 23. And we read that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing that which is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days Of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's just come and pray. Father, we want to thank you for your provision for us, which stretches into and affects every area of our lives. We thank you for the provision of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to interpret and apply that word. And Lord, today we thank you for the Sabbath that you've given to us, that this has been given to us for a purpose. Help us to discern aright what you're saying to us now through your word and by your spirit regarding the Sabbath. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay then, today in our our series on the commandments, we've reached number four, God's commandment, what God has to say about the Sabbath. And let me just make my position here clear right at the very outset. And that is in the church People so often fall into one of two opposite but equally destructive errors regarding the Sabbath. Either excessive legalism, demonstrated superbly by the the Christian family uh, who took the Sabbath so seriously that they took the swing out of the budgie's cage on a Sunday because he was enjoying himself too much. But, but let me just really make myself clear here. I'm all for the Sabbath being taken seriously, so long as the true nature, the true purpose of the Sabbath is clearly understood. And that's definitely, by the way, not the case there. Which is something I don't believe is the, the case either for those guilty of the opposite error. That is... The overly liberal, you know, those who've 
reacted against the old-style legalism, something that I'm sure began for, for many with the, the praiseworthy intention of, in this area, as in many others, of, of breaking free from the, the old negative Christianity of the past. And so Christians said, I don't want my Sabbath to be about what I don't do, but rather I want it to be about what I do and what I am. Yes, and so I want not just one day, but every day to be, in a sense, a Sabbath to the Lord. And that sounds great, and it is great in theory. But what this has so often led to in practice, because I believe these people haven't got the basics and the foundation of the Sabbath sorted out in their mind, what this has led to, slowly and subtly, is a Sabbath, a Sunday, and ultimately even a Christianity where God has been pushed to the one side and where man has assumed center stage. Where perhaps in name Sunday still is the Lord's Day, but actually where in reality it's very much our day. A day when our rest, our relaxation, our leisure, our fun comes first for us. It's our needs, our fulfillment, our satisfaction that matters. And God, the priorities of God, the worship of God, well, these are fitted in as and when we are able. You know, we go to be with God's people when we can. We worship when it kind of fits in and suits us. But that's wrong. That is all wrong. It's totally wrong. Most importantly, it's wrong in God's sight, but also it's wrong for us. It's wrong for us. Because you see, the Lord made this world to be a world of balance, where there are various checks and balances built into this world and designed to keep everything in harmony, designed to keep everything running as it should and on track. And you see that in the different various ecosystems of our world and how if, if something goes wrong, such as in global warming, then it's got a knock-on effect in all sorts of different areas of life and aspects of life. And it's the same with our bodies. I read somewhere that we've got nine different systems, you know, respiratory system, nervous system, skeletal system, etc. But you see, if something goes wrong with one of these, then it often affects the whole person. When our bodies are off balance, when they're out of harmony, there's a word for that, isn't there? Dis-ease. Now, at a different level, at a deeper level, physically, emotionally, and above all, spiritually, the Sabbath is designed to keep our lives balanced, to keep our lives in harmony and with the right focus and ignore that and we will pay the price of that and we'll pay it in every area of our lives. But let's now try and get the, the foundation that, that's needed here in place by, by looking first at the biblical understanding of the Sabbath. And, and let me just begin here by, by making what I believe is a, a, a vitally important point. And that is that you will never understand the true nature of the Sabbath until you understand the nature of Old Testament law. 
and its particular relevance today for Christians. You see, I believe there are, there are three different main categories of law in the Old Testament. And teaching on the Sabbath emerges from each of these different categories. However, just how literally, how to the letter applicable each of these categories is for us as Christians actually varies quite a bit. The problem here is that some Christians apply to themselves literally to the letter scriptures that I believe they shouldn't. Whereas other Christians ignore or they at least water down scriptures that are very, very much literally still for them. Let me just try to clarify, though, what I'm saying here. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now the crucial word there is that word fulfill which means literally to complete, which means really to bring them to fulfillment. So how then did Jesus complete? How did Jesus bring to fulfillment the law? Which remember he didn't come to abolish, he didn't come to do away with. Well first of all there's the moral law. And that's the the category of law that really reflects God's essential holy character, that reflects who God is, and then is spelled out in terms of behavior, lifestyle, moral demands, and which therefore is eternally relevant. For all believers, Old Testament believers and New Testament believers too, and right up to the present day, This law applies 100% to us. And what we're talking about here especially is the Ten Commandments. Now I believe Jesus fulfilled this law in the sense that he shows us how this law should be lived out, fulfilled completely. He shows us how this is done in a life of total and absolute obedience. And then by virtue of his resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus then gives us the wherewithal. He gives us the resources to follow in his footsteps. So this law then, this category, is entirely and eternally relevant to us. There are, though, two other categories of law, what's normally called the the ceremonial law and also The social law. And you see here, and this is important, the situation's rather different. For you see, these were actually temporary laws. Laws that were given to a certain people, that is the Jews, at a certain time and a certain stage in their spiritual development. Laws that were given in order to guide them as to how, as sinners, they might approach a holy God. And as to how they then might order their society, their social life together in such a way as to please him. Now Jesus, I believe, fulfilled these laws in the sense that he made rigid adherence to their finer details no longer necessary. Because Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The cross 
was the ultimate ceremony. So we need no longer then trust in the sacrifices we make, no longer trust in the ceremonies we perform in order to enter into God's presence. No, we come to God simply and humbly trusting in what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. And also we no longer need a a rigid set of rules and regulations in order to govern our life, in order to govern the way that we live our life together. We don't need that anymore because we now have the spirit of Jesus. We now have the love of Jesus alive in our hearts. We need God's word. Yes, we do. But we no longer live bound by the law. Rather, we now live in the new age of faith and love and of the Spirit. But, but, and here's what matters. Although the letter of these kind of laws are no longer relevant to us in Christ in the sense of binding in their detail, yet the principles behind these laws, underlying these laws, certainly also are binding on us. Because you see, remember that these laws were given to us by a holy God and they were given in order to instruct his people about how to approach him in holiness and how to live out their life in holiness. Now, an example of what I'm trying to say that will maybe help is that the Jews, they had all sorts of ritual and ceremonial washings that they had to go through before they could approach God in worship. Now, you see, that isn't applicable to us. We don't have to, for example, wash our hands numerous times before turning out to worship on a Sunday. Once will do. But the principle underlying this, that is that care ought to be taken before we approach a holy God, certainly is applicable. The detail isn't, but the principle is. Just a little bit of extra information I'll throw in here. You know, the the Jews, more particularly the Pharisees, they actually added an extra set of their own rules and regulations called the Mishnah. They added that to the law. Now, that was originally done, I'm sure, with the the best of intentions. They did it with the best of intentions. It was a kind of protective hedge, if you like, laws before God's law to prevent them breaking that law. But it got them into some difficult situations. Seemingly on one occasion... A lady asked the rabbis if she could wear her false teeth on a Sunday because she thought that that might constitute bearing a burden. And the rabbis duly considered this and decided that yes, her teeth were a burden and that she must not wear them on the Sabbath. I I didn't even know they had false teeth then. But I can imagine her on that next Sabbath just saying to herself, I wish I'd never asked or something. <laughs> anyway, I hope you've got a hold of the main point there. For you see, it's in, it's in this area. It's by failing to recognize these different categories of law. And so because of that, either pressing too hard detail which should be ignored, or alternatively ignoring principles which should still be obeyed, it's in this area that so many Christians go wrong, as indeed did the Jews. Well, we've laid the the foundation. Let's move on to look at the Sabbath itself. Beginning 
I believe as we must, by looking at the Sabbath as it was given. God's original intention. So here then we need to go right back to the creation story. Right back to Genesis 2 verse 2. And there we read in Genesis 2 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So then, we see here that God rooted into the very creation of the world, into the very creation of man, this concept of Sabbath. That there should be a holy day. A day when man rests from his normal working routine. Now two points Important points arise from this. First, that it's obvious here that God was quite deliberately providing a pattern for man to follow. Because we can be certain that God didn't stop on the seventh day because he himself was tired. He didn't do that because he's the God of all strength and all power. He's the one who Psalm 121.4 tells us who never slumbers or sleeps. So a major reason then for God resting on the Sabbath day was for our sakes. It was an expression of God's love and God's care for us. Because the God who made us knows that we're weak. The God who made us knows that we need rest. And so he provided right at the very beginning of time in creation a pattern of rest for us to follow. The other important thing that I believe we should take note of is that this provision was woven in to the creation of mankind. So then, this in itself, this basic principle, isn't something that's just for believers. It's for all man. Now, of course, there are some elements of of Sabbath teaching that certainly are just for believers, but the basic need built into man for a day of rest is applicable to all, and we ignore that at our peril. However, the Sabbath day isn't only a rest day. No, it's also, and it's far more importantly, because it's this in this that the rest finds its ultimate significance, it's also a holy day. It's a day then to be set apart for, a day to be consecrated to the Lord. In the Dictionary of New Testament Theology, if you like, it says here, it says, The day then was looked on as a cessation from labor, a pause, a rest. But this with a view to its being dedicated to God, an opportunity for getting to know God and for worshiping Him. Now this aspect is actually there in the creation But it's brought even more to the fore in in the Ten Commandments and and what God in his moral law has got to say there. Because in Exodus 28 we read, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, keep a hold of this 
And then listen to, to this comment that I came across as I was reading this week. There is that no other commandment is as strongly emphasized in Scripture as this. No other commandment. Showing what great importance it held in Israel's history and carrying the death penalty for its infringement. So what does this tell us? It surely undermines for us how important it is that we don't diminish the importance of the Sabbath for the believer by thinking of it purely and simply just as a day of rest. You know, kind of how wise and how kind God is. He knows we need a day to relax, a day to unwind and do our own thing. So in a sense, the Sabbath can be any day. The important thing being that we rest and relax and nothing else. No, because while there's an element of truth in that, and that the Sabbath is to be a rest day, yet far more importantly, for those who are believers, it's a rest day because it's a holy day to enable it to be a day set apart and consecrated to God. God is to be at the center of the Sabbath, not man. The whole idea of the Sabbath is of us living to please God and so because of that, growing in our relationship with God rather than us living to please ourselves. There is room for rest and relaxation in the Sabbath. But you know, the ultimate test of what we do on the Sabbath is has it helped me to focus on God? Has what I've done helped me to open my life to God and to grow in my relationship with God. And you know something? There will be results. As we celebrate our Sabbath God's way, there will be results. Listen to Isaiah 58 verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking my Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, And if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and by not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. You see, we'll find joy in the Lord. That then was the Sabbath as it was given, but let's just move on to look at the Sabbath, what it was then made into. Oh dear, must be time for my tea. Anyway, but the problem here was and is people making that mistake that we referred to earlier. That is people taking Sabbath teaching that stands outside of this fundamental teaching of principle. Ten Commandments type teaching. Taking teaching then that was given to a certain people at a certain time in a certain situation to help with the practicalities in living out the Sabbath. Taking this teaching and misinterpreting it, misapplying it, making it more than it is. And so instead of differentiating and picking out what's relevant to us in this teaching, that is those underlying principles that are in line with the fundamental Sabbath principles, where instead every little detail is legalistically applied. Now let me tell you the best way to avoid doing this, the best way to get a hold of and then keep hold 
of the real principles of the Sabbath. The best way to do that is to remember again just what the Sabbath was given for. And remember, that is, not because God didn't want people to be free, not because God wanted to bind people up in an endless series of, of rules and regulations in order to stop us from enjoying ourselves. No, the Sabbath was given because God, who loves us and who knows what we need, because after all, he created us and he should do, so he knows that we need a holy day. We need a day when we can turn away from this world and concentrate on him. That we need a day when we can be refreshed physically, but above all, spiritually. But you see, where it all goes wrong is that so many don't search for those underlying principles. And then once we get away from that, it can be so easy, and often with the best of intentions, to pervert the law as we try to apply rigidly and legalistically everything we read in Scripture. And of course, the Pharisees, they're the pattern for this because they were the perverters par excellence of God's law. You see, consistently, they tore the heart out of the law. And so instead of allowing it to be what it should be, that is a guide once we've come to know God as to how we should then live in order to please God, Instead of that, what they did is they took the law and they made it into an endless series of rules and regulations, obedience to which they believed earns us under our own steam, by our own righteousness, the approval of God. And nowhere is this more obvious than in regard to the Sabbath. I mean, look at that incident we read earlier in, in Mark chapter 2. You know, they didn't mind there that the disciples took corn from someone else's field. That didn't bother them. Because the law said, Deuteronomy 23, 25, that a Jew was allowed to pluck corn that didn't belong to him. So long as he used only his hand. You see, the obvious idea being then that a farmer should be generous enough to feed a hungry traveler. The law breaking there coming in if the person takes more than enough to feed himself. But you see, it wasn't the, the plucking of the corn at all that, that bothered the Pharisees here. No, what riled them was the fact that this was done on the Sabbath. That's what bothered them. Verse 24, they said, look, they're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, you know, it's got to be said that at first glance, they do appear to have an element of the law actually on their side. Because Exodus 34, 21 does prohibit reaping on the Sabbath. But can you see, they've lost sight of the heart of the law. They've lost sight of that main purpose of the law that we talked about earlier. And so because of that here, they weren't able to interpret it because they've lost the heart. They can't interpret it properly. For what was meant by reaping was in fact the reaping of the harvest. What was meant by reaping was the full-scale event where all the people working together and using tools stripped the fields bare. This didn't prohibit them. A loving God didn't prohibit 
hungry men eating a handful of corn as they went on their way, even on the Sabbath. But can you see what they've done? Can you see what they've done? That they've taken God's law, which by the guidelines it gives, is supposed to be something good and something positive in men's lives. In this case, stopping them being exploited and exhausted by unnecessary full-scale labor seven days a week. That's what the purpose behind that law was. And instead, by adding their own rules and regulations, they've made it into something cripplingly negative. Because you see, for the Pharisees, what was all important on the Sabbath was what you didn't do. That's what mattered. That was their emphasis. Whereas in the Bible, while it does talk of things you shouldn't do, yet all of these things are designed to help us to do the far more important things that we actually should be doing. And that, as we've said, is that our Sunday should be a holy day. It should be a day above all positively set aside for God and side by side with this, in fact geared up in order to enable this, a Sunday should be a day for rest and relaxation and leisure. As Peter Barber wrote many years ago, a Sunday that is positively different is so much truer to the Creator's intention than a Sabbath that is negatively dull. And all of this is what Jesus is, is trying to tell the Pharisees here by use of this illustration of David and his followers. Because, you see, they did exactly the same as Christ's disciples did. In fact, what Jesus is saying is that they should have been judged even more harshly because they ate the consecrated holy bread. And yet, far from being condemned by the priests then, they received permission to do that. And what Jesus here is telling them is that the priest's interpretation of the spirit behind the law is the right one. Well, they, the Pharisees, are in a pathetic way trying to be stricter than God. You see, the priests, they understood what Jesus says in verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Yes, the Sabbath was made for man. Not again in terms of, of selfish pleasure, but the Sabbath was made, the Sabbath was given in order to equip us, in order to refresh us positively, spiritually and physically, that we might be better servants of the Lord. What the Sabbath definitely, though, was not designed for was to become a set of petty little restrictions that hold men in bondage. Let's finish just briefly by looking at the Sabbath. And, us. and it's really back to, again, to avoiding those same two errors that we've talked of repeatedly. And that is to watch that we don't become overly liberal. Disregarding the idea of the Sabbath entirely as a an obsolete Old Testament law. And, and so because of that, concentrating, if we have a place for the Sabbath, concentrating purely on our own pleasure rather than worship of God. 
But on the other hand, we've got to make sure that we're not overly legalistic. Trying to make our Sabbath into an endless set of rules and regulations that we then mercilessly inflict on others and all who cross our path. Instead, though, let's try and keep a hold of and build on those two main principles. First, that the Sabbath is supposed to be a holy day. A special day, then, of spiritual rest, refreshment, where worship of God and time spent with God has got to be paramount for us. And second, it is a day of rest and relaxation. We should then take care to be physically refreshed as well as spiritually. But let's make sure that this is what actually happens. Let's make sure that our rest and our leisure enhances our worship, enables us to worship, as it's supposed to do, rather than leaving us with no time for worship, too exhausted to take time to be with God. And then holding on to these two principles, we need then to live them out positively. We need to be positive, guided by the Spirit of Jesus, alive in the love of Jesus, and showing, therefore, Christian charity to the views of others that might differ from ours. So let's make sure that we live out that kind of positive Sabbath that brings glory to God. And we can't enforce it on the world, but let's make sure that by the way that we live, we demonstrate the blessing that it gives. Let's give God the best on our Sabbath and every day of our lives. Let's just pray. Father, we just ask again that you'll help us to, to get the balance right here, to, to live our lives in a way that pleases you. Lord, this is a day that's supposed to be set apart. This is a day where we're called to focus on you, where worshipping you should be the first priority. Being with your people should be what comes first. But then, Lord, at the same time, within that context, you want us to rest. You want us to be refreshed. And you don't want us to tie ourselves up in rules and regulations. So, Father, help us to get the balance. Help us to be guided by your Spirit and to show your love. Lord, be with us as your people. Help us to use all the resources you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together a great hymn of, of commitment to God, man of sorrows.
We're going to remain seated as we sing our first hymn, the next hymn.